I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 25. If you notice, we've got our jacuzzi in the middle of the worship center. No, it's our portable baptismal tank. We are having two baptisms this weekend, tomorrow. Um, and so we are going to be focusing on a passage of scripture that emphasizes and talks about baptism. And we're going to be talking about a picture of obedience tonight. And then, Lord willing, we're going to have a couple more baptisms next weekend. And maybe we'll even have more than that coming out of our time together. Um, we are going to be looking at a wonderful passage of Scripture that emphasizes and talks about the importance of baptism. There are two ordinances that God has given to the church, baptism and communion. These are two things that as the body of believers we are to make sure that we are in obedience to recognizing, following, doing. And we are actually going to accomplish one of those things tonight. We're going to spend time in communion tonight. We're having the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. Tomorrow we're going to be celebrating two baptisms. These are things that are very important that we pay attention to as a body of believers. Baptism is an act of obedience on the part of a believer. We believe in believer's baptism. We believe in baptism by immersion because it is a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of uh, an, an individual when they trust Christ as, sin, as Savior, that they are dying to sin and they're being raised in newness of life. And so that's why we baptize the way that we baptize and that's why we believe it's for believers. And there's a passage of scripture here in Acts that we see baptism as a key aspect and part of this particular story. And so we want to spend some time focusing in on it. Just so that you know, you might be sitting here and saying, well, I'm a believer and I've already been baptized, so this message isn't for me. Au contraire. It definitely is for each and every one of us. And we'll see that, Lord willing, by the time we're done. Let's start in a word of prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we've had to focus on you in praise. Think of that new song that we learned tonight, A Thousand Hallelujahs. And how that song so clearly talked about why we should be singing praise to you, God Almighty. The Lord Jesus Christ who died, who was buried, who rose again. Who is the lamb that was slain for the salvation of those who would believe in him. That we will rise because Christ rose. What an amazing reminder through that song tonight. And the fact that later on we have an opportunity to celebrate together and to remember through the Lord's Supper the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the broken body of the Lord on the cross of Calvary. What Christ did to purchase our redemption as sinful people. God, and, and the fact that we can take part in that ordinance together as a body of believers, as a church. As we have an opportunity to focus on the significance of baptism, God, may your Holy Spirit speak to us this evening in Christ's name. Amen. Before we dive into Acts chapter 8, verses 25 to 40, I just want to make sure that we are clear on a couple things as we get into this particular passage. 
We need to keep in mind and always have at the forefront of our mind that salvation originates in the sovereign will of God. We see that in Acts chapter 13, verse 38, Romans 8, 29 and following, Ephesians 1, 3 through 7, and that it's implemented by his grace. It's by grace through faith that we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 say that, says that. 2 Timothy 2.10 talks about that. Titus 1.1 talks about that. And as we're thinking about salvation, as it's provided by the Lord, we need to keep in mind that there are two insurmountable barriers that keep human beings from being able to achieve this on their own efforts. First of all, we need to remember that people are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that, But the person without the Spirit, that would be the natural man, does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, but it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Jesus says it bluntly in John 6, 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Except that the Lord draws us. We will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ on our own. And then number two, Satan and his demons are actively involved in keeping people from finding God's truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says this, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. With these truths understood, it's important that we see how God works through his sovereignty as the Holy Spirit works in the heart and life of an individual in this particular passage of Scripture, drawing this man to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the part that Philip, a follower of Jesus Christ, plays in this wonderful, wonderful event so let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 25. I'm going to start at verse 25. If you look at your Bible, you'll see a heading right before verse 26. That seems to really kind of hone us in on this particular passage. But I want you to see, starting in verse 25, what's been going on and what Philip's been involved in here. It says, So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So Philip is involved in a wonderful ministry, seeing Samaritans come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. These are half-Jewish, half-Gentile individuals. Certainly people that Jew the Jewish community did not like, they didn't care for, they saw them as second-class citizens, and yet the apostles were going on, they were preaching the gospel, and Philip had a wonderful part in this particular ministry. He's seeing Samaritans come to know Christ as Savior. He's a part of a great work that's going on. And then all of a sudden we see in verse 26, 
that the Holy Spirit calls Philip to a totally different location. And I want us to see how the Holy Spirit is working in Philip's life. He's working in the Ethiopian eunuch's life to bring the eunuch to salvation. Follow along with me in verse 26. It says this, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Very first thing that I want us to see is the preparation of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in, the, in this verse, all the way up to verse 29. The Holy Spirit is preparing things. He's preparing Philip. He's preparing the Ethiopian eunuch. He's doing a work in these two men's lives to bring the Ethiopian eunuch to salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of God's sovereign hand working and moving here. We see that Philip was doing a work in Samaria, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip. And says, I want you to do something for me, Philip. I want you to go where I'm going to send you to do a work. I want you to see the obedience of Philip in this as, as he's instructed by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see what the Holy Spirit says to him. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit leads us and guides, guides us. And as a human being, we'd be looking at it and say, mm, I'm not sure about this. This seems kind of odd. Or we look at it and say, yeah, but God, I'm doing a great work right here, and you're calling me somewhere else. You know, maybe I know what's better than, than to do than you do. Because, I mean, certainly some, Philip says, it could say to the Lord, hey, look, I'm doing a great work with the Samaritans. Like, finally, we're getting some inroads in, into the Samaritan community. We're seeing Samaritans come to know Christ and, as Savior. Hey, look, this is a great opportunity. Why do I have to leave this situation? And then... The Holy Spirit gives him the instructions, which make it all that much more difficult. He says this, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Now, on initial glance, we might say, well, what's the big deal about that? So he's telling him to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. Like, how hard is this? But we need to understand a couple things in context of what's going on. First of all, we need to understand that there were two different roads from Jerusalem to Gaza. There was the main thoroughfare that most everybody traveled. It was closer to the coast. It was a much nicer road. It was, it was a much uh, better road. But it was also um, a road where it was cooler and, and, and much more enjoyable to travel. It was, it was the one that was most traveled. But that's not the one that God calls Philip to go on. It would be the more logical choice if Philip was going to go down to Gaza to meet somebody or to do a ministry down there, you would think that, hey, this is the road that I should be on because this is the one that most people travel. I mean, if I'm going to witness to somebody, this is the road that I'm going to be on for sure. And yet the Holy Spirit says, no, Philip, I want you to go on the road that's less traveled. I want you to go on the road that most people don't even go on, the one that's actually in the desert. Oh, and by the way, he says, I want you to go at noontime. Now, you don't see that in our translation in this particular statement, but it is important to know that when the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and he says, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, you need to understand that in the Greek language, the word translated south for us is also translated, and it's only used two times in the New Testament. It's, it's used here, and it's used in Acts chapter 22, verse 6. And when it's used there, it is actually used for the word noon. It's actually when the, the Apostle Paul is sharing his conversion experience, and he's talking about as he's going to the, on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians, and he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says it happens at midday, it happens at noon. 
And he uses the exact same Greek word. And so if we're going to take that and we're going to understand the translation of it, we would say that both he's, he's traveling south, but he's also traveling at noonday, the, the hottest time of the day on the desert road. For someone who is not completely obedient to the Lord, it would be very easy for us to start making excuses for why it is that we wouldn't do what the Lord is calling us to do. Well, you know, it is the desert road after all, Lord. Like, maybe that's not the right road I should be on. I mean, there's another road. It's, it's a better road. There's more people on it. If I'm going to do ministry, that makes the most sense. Oh, and you don't want me to go on the desert road at noontime. Like, that, that, nobody travels at noon. Like, that's the hottest time of the day. I, you don't want me to go out in that. I mean, clearly, Lord, you want me to look after myself and make sure I don't, you know, do anything too taxing, right? You know, you don't, wanna, you don't want me to put my life in danger, do you? Many of us would say stuff like that, probably. And yet, the Holy Spirit has a divine appointment for Philip to meet a man from Ethiopia. And he's saying, Philip, I want you to go. I want you to go at noontime. I want you to go on the desert road because there's somebody there I need you to meet. So the Lord instructs Philip to do this. And what does Philip do? He does it. He says, so he got up and he went. I'm guessing that he probably didn't have a discussion with the Lord. He probably didn't say, hey, I'm doing a great work with the Samaritans. Hey, this is not the road I want to travel. Hey, this is not the time of day I should be traveling. Nope. The Holy Spirit calls him, he gets up, he goes. Verse 27 says, And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official from Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to worship in Jerusalem. Hey, Philip, I need you to go because there's a man that I need you to find. There's a man I need you to meet. A man who I've been drawing to myself, and I need you to have this encounter with him. He's not just any man. He's a man of a position, a high position. He's a man, though, that has a particular background. He comes from a particular position. He comes from a particular perspective, you could say. It says, there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. A couple things here that, we want, that I want us to see. We need to understand something. Sometimes we think Candace is a name. Hey, he's Queen Candace's man. Actually, that's not actually the case, just so that you understand, so that you have a little better understanding of how it goes. In the, at this time with the Nubian Empire, which would have been just south of Egypt, the kings of that particular empire were considered to be the incarnation of their son god, Saul. And so, because of that, they weren't the ones that really kind of ran the day-to-day -day of, uh, like, goings-on of the kingdom. In fact, the queen mother did that. And the queen mother was always referred to as Candace. That was her title, not her name. So much like the pharaoh... It's called a pharaoh, but all their names are not pharaoh. It's like Ramses or Hapshetsud or whatever. Or the Caesar. Candace is just the title of the queen of the Ethiopians. And so she was 
the key person that kind of ran the country. And this particular man, an Ethiopian man, was her treasury secretary, her minister of finance, if you want to call it that way. It says that he was in charge of her entire treasury. He was a significant man in the empire. Not only that, but we are told that he's a eunuch. Now, why that's important is this, I think. There's a couple of reasons why it's important. It's important that, Paul, or that uh, Luke records both of these statements for one reason, or for a reason. By this point, kind of in history, oftentimes um, a eunuch, or, or in this particular kingdom, a man could be called a eunuch because he held the position of kind of the treasury secretary of the kingdom, or because he looked after the harem of, of the empire and he was kind of the one that looked after the treasury. And sometimes he wasn't actually a eunuch physically, but that was the title that was given to him. But because Luke records that he's both a eunuch and then he specifically states that he is the treasury secretary, so to speak, it gives us the indication that this man served as that position but physically was also a eunuch. Children here, if you don't know what that is, talk to your parents. They would love to have that conversation with you. Anyway, you can thank me later, parents, but I don't want to get into it. But you know what? That he was physically a eunuch. Now, why that's even more important really is this. It says in verse 27 that he had come from Jerusalem where he was worshiping. What does that indicate for us? Well, this is the cool thing about it is that this man, as an Ethiopian in the kingdom of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who would have worshipped the sun god, this man was a Jewish proselyte or semi-proselyte. He had come across the God of Israel. He was a God-fearing man. He endeavored to worship God, so he would have been enabled to, enabled to go to the synagogue. He would have been able to read scripture. He would have been able to go to kind of the Gentile limits of the temple to worship God. He, 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 his desire was to serve God and to love God and to follow God. And so he was a semi-proselyte. Because he was a eunuch, he couldn't be a full proselyte. And yet he still loved God and he still desired to worship God. And he had been in Jerusalem during the Passover time to worship as many of the Jews would have as they would have gone to their pilgrimage to worship in Jerusalem. And he was in Jerusalem worshiping the Lord and then he was returning home. He would have been like many other Jewish individuals of the day worshiping God but not have been introduced to the Messiah. He was a God-fearing man, and yet he needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit was working in this man, working in the circumstances to bring this man to faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was preparing things. Let's keep on going. In verse 28, it says this, He was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the, Holy, and the Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? This man's reading the scriptures. 
He's reading a very particular passage in Isaiah. He's, he's seeking God. He wants to know more about God, but he needs somebody to come and help him to understand better. And so as Philip is responding to the Holy Spirit's calling, he goes to the chariot. And this is where we see Philip's witness. A couple things that I want to point out to you. There might be a, a significance for why he was reading the prophet Isaiah. If you looked at Isaiah 56, and I encourage you to turn to Isaiah 56 with me, he may have actually spent, well, he would have. He would have spent a fair amount of money purchasing the scroll of Isaiah when he was in Jerusalem. This would have been a fairly costly endeavor for him because passages, scrolls of Scripture would not be as prevalent then as we have copies of Scripture today, right? Many of us probably have multiple versions of, the, of, of Scripture on our shelves at our home, in our home. I have multiple ones on my shelf in, in my office. If you have a smartphone, you've got umpteen different versions on your Bible app to the point where we maybe don't look at it as preciously as we ought to because it's just so prevalent for us. It's, hey, I got a Bible anywhere I go. I got a Bible anywhere I'm looking. But for him, it would have come at great cost to him to buy that scroll and be able to read Isaiah. And he may have purchased Isaiah for this reason. Now, this is a bit of speculation, but I want you to see this. And if nothing else, I want you to see this passage of Scripture because it's fulfilled when this man comes to Jesus Christ. And that's the cool thing about this passage. In Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8, this is what it says. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am dry, I'm, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. I want you to think of how encouraging that particular passage of Scripture would have been for the Ethiopian eunuch. And maybe he bought that passage of Scripture, that scroll, because... He knew that this promise was in there, and he just wanted to read it because it was going to encourage him. Maybe he didn't even know it was there. And he would have excitedly come across that as he read through the book of Isaiah. I'm guessing if he was enjoying worship in the synagogue, he probably heard this passage read. He probably was going, man, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to be a part of the household of God and receive these promises from the Lord. And what we're told in this particular passage is that he was reading out loud and he had gotten all the way to Isaiah 53. So he was on his way to reading this particular passage of scripture. And Philip comes up, he runs up and we see Philip's witness here. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And this is his response. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the scripture passage that he was reading was this. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before its shears, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation 
and just, excuse me, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So he's reading a wonderful passage of Scripture, a passage of Scripture that we are all very familiar with, I'm sure, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he's reading this, and he's not quite understanding it because this is what the eunuch says to Philip. He says, the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Perfect question. Philip's like, mm, you pitched me a strike, I'm going to knock this out of the park. This is exactly why the Holy Spirit's got me here. This man has set me up so well to share the gospel. And Philip's there ready to go. You see the witness of Philip in verse 35. It says, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture. See, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This man was a God-fearing man. He was seeking the Lord. He was reading Scripture to understand who God was. But he had not received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior yet. And the Holy Spirit is preparing this man to meet the messenger that he had prepared in the person of Philip so that Philip could sit down with him and say, I'd love to tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you exactly who this passage of Scripture is about. Let me explain to you why it is that you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Philip witnesses to this man. And it's implied, we don't necessarily see it here, but it's implied this man puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, Scripture makes it abundantly clear to the apostles in the Great Commission, and ultimately to us as believers, that our job, our responsibility as believers in Jesus is to go throughout all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so as Philip is sharing the gospel with this man, as this man puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he turns around, and this is the commitment of the Ethiopian. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the, the eunuch said, Look, there's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? This man trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. He was committed to serving God with his whole life, and he's going, What's preventing me, Philip, from getting baptized? Now, part of that conversation may have been that he was still wrestling through, hey, look, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but as a proselyte, I wasn't fully in as kind of a, a, a proselyte. I was only partly in because I was, an, I was a eunuch, right? Hey, I'm a Gentile. Like, I can't fully get into, you know, the family of God, so to speak, with the Jews. You know, I'm always kind of on the outside. What's preventing me from getting baptized Absolutely nothing. Why? Because when he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he was in the household of God. That passage of Scripture that if he hadn't already known it, would have eventually gotten to it in Isaiah 56, that was fulfilled. The moment that he trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, he was in the household of God, and he's saying, hey, what's, what's preventing me from being baptized? And obviously the answer, though it's not given, is a rhetorical no, nothing. Because what do they do? They immediately go down. It says, 
So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went out down into the water, and he baptized him. And he came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. He's not just a God-fearer anymore, he's a child of God. And he's rejoicing because he's given his life to Jesus Christ, and he was able to publicly demonstrate and declare in baptism to all those who were around that he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, just because the Ethiopian and Philip are the only two people talked about in this passage, that doesn't mean that there weren't other people around. This guy was a government official. He was one of the key people in Candace's court. He would have had all sorts of people around him that would have had an opportunity to see that he had trusted Christ as Savior and committed his life to following Christ through waters of baptism. He would have publicly declared to all around what he had done by putting his faith and trust in Christ. And he went away rejoicing. Why? Because he's a child of God. Philip appeared at Azos, and then he traveled and preached the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Holy Spirit prepared the Ethiopian eunuch to receive Christ. The Holy Spirit prepared Philip to be the guy to share the gospel. Philip witnessed. We talked about it last week. It's not just living our lives for Christ that is sharing the gospel. We've got to open our mouths up and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus is the Savior of mankind and that people need to trust Christ as Savior. We can't keep that in. We can't keep that to ourselves. We've got to declare it. We've got to preach it. We've got to teach it. We've got to share it. Can you imagine if Philip just hung back and just, you know, walked along the chair and, and thought, well, you know, as long as I live, you know, like a Christian while I'm walking along this chair, this guy's going to get the idea. No. When he was given the opportunity to share the gospel, he jumped on it and he shared the gospel. And this man trusted Christ as Savior, and he declared his commitment to Christ through water, the waters of baptism. We see the fact that in that particular baptism, and you don't see it in the Greek or in the English, but if you read it in the Greek, we come across the word baptizo. He ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he was baptized. The word baptizo means to immerse. And the reason why we believe that baptism is by immersion is because Scripture uses that phrase, and that is a picture of our being dead to sin and alive to Christ. It's a picture of Jesus dying and coming back to life again. And that's why we baptize believers by immersion, because we believe that that is the biblical example, and we want to make sure that we are following the biblical example. Let me ask you a couple questions. If you're a Christian here tonight, and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and you have been obedient to God in the waters of baptism, I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you two questions. One, when you were baptized after you trusted Christ as Savior, you made a public declaration to all who were around that you were going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You made a commitment before those that were there that you were going to live for Christ. 
How are you keeping on that commitment? Are there some things in your life that you need to take a step back and say, you know what? I committed to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. I committed to live the way that God is calling me to live. To live in obedience. Are there some things in your life where you can say, you know what? I'm not being obedient to the Lord the way I ought to. Maybe tonight the Lord's calling on you to just bow your heart before him and confess sin to, to the Lord and make it right with God. Because at one point in your life you said, look, I'm sold out for the Lord Jesus and I want everybody to know it. It shouldn't be any different now than it was when you entered into the baptismal tank and went through the waters of baptism. Maybe it's not that. So I'm going to ask you this question. How many divine appointments has the Holy Spirit lined up for you that you haven't kept? How many times has maybe the Holy Spirit been tugging on you to reach out to somebody that you haven't reached out to for a while? How many times has the Holy Spirit laid on your heart to talk to your neighbor or talk to your colleague or talk to your family member about Christ and you're going, "Mm, I don't think that the time's right. Ah, it's a little too hot today. Oh no, it's the wrong road. Let me encourage you, Christian. The Holy Spirit is lining up these divine appointments for you. Take them. Be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ as he leads you into people's lives who need to hear the gospel. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but you've never been obedient in the waters of baptism. I can't say it any other way. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we need to be obedient in being baptized. There's just no ands, ifs, or buts about it. We can't put it off. Scripture's clear on it. Be baptized. Make your your commitment for Christ public before your church family. It's hard to be obedient in the big things if we can't be obedient in the little things. If we can't be obedient in the first things, how are we supposed to be obedient in the things that follow after? As a church... Our goal is to keep each other accountable. Our goal is to help each other grow to be more like Christ. We can do that better when we know that somebody has put their faith and trust in Christ because they've shared that with us as they've committed to be obedient in the waters of baptism. Because you're publicly declaring, I've given my life to Christ, I want to live for Christ. And then we can rally around you and say, hey, how can we help you be the best Christian that you can possibly be? We want to support you on that. So if you've trusted Christ as Savior, but you've never been baptized, talk to one of us on staff tonight. We'd love to talk to you and get, you, get it arranged so that you can be baptized and declare that before everybody. And lastly, maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you're searching. Maybe you'd, you would say, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a God-fearing person, and I, I'm here because I want to know God a little bit better. I want to get to know God better than you know what? The Holy Spirit's got you here because it's a divine, divine appointment. The divine appointment is that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ tonight. That he would be your Lord and Savior. That you go from being a God-fearing person to a child of God. Someone who has recognized their sin, trusted Christ as their Savior, and experienced that rescue from the sin and the redemption that Jesus offers. I encourage you, trust Christ tonight. If you don't know how exactly that works, Talk to one of us on staff after the service. We'd love to sit down with you and make it abundantly clear to you how you can be saved and how you can put your faith and trust in Christ. Let's close in prayer. 
Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the fact that you were working in the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch. You were bringing him to the right place at the right time to meet your messenger. I thank you for the fact that you were working in Philip's heart and life, that when you directed Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, he was ready and raring to go and to serve you the way that you've called him to serve. Thank you for the fact that Philip didn't just sit there and answer a few questions or try to live for Christ beside the chariot but never open up his mouth, but that when given the opportunity, he shared the gospel. He opened up the scriptures and he helped the Ethiopian eunuch see that he needed to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ for his salvation. I thank you for the fact that the Ethiopian eunuch was a wonderful example of someone who had trusted Christ as Savior, who was obedient by being baptized right away. He didn't put it off. He did it immediately, declaring to everybody that he had put his faith and trust in Christ and made that public profession. God, I thank you so much for this example. I pray, God, that if you are challenging any of us tonight, that we would get on our knees, that we would just pour out our hearts to you, we would confess what we need to confess as sin to you. Maybe there's someone here tonight who needs to trust Christ as Savior. I pray that they would do that in their heart right there, right here and now with you, God, that they would just recognize that they are a sinner, that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that they would put their faith and trust in him and him alone for their salvation. God, I pray that if there's somebody here that trusts Christ tonight, that we would be able to baptize them as quick as we can as they desire to tell everybody that they've put their faith and trust in Christ through the waters of baptism. God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the reminder of salvation and how important it is and how we need to be communicating that gospel message in Christ's name. Amen.